With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are proud to select from the U.S. program, Jack Hughes. Once again, Devils fans, we have the wonderful, very insightful Boston Hockey Now and an awesome Devils fan once again. It's Jim Berger. Welcome back, buddy. You there, Jimmy? Uh-oh. Good afternoon, Jimmy. Welcome to the show again. Hey, can you hear me? Yes, I hear you now. Yeah, I was just a little static for a second. <laughs> well, speaking of static, well, you, I guess you have a little bit of ex- exciting electric news you wanted to tell me via Twitter yesterday? Ah, uh, yeah. So I was talking with... Uh, side oh, and, uh, you know, as we talked the other day about... Um, P.K. Subban and, you know, the excitement around him coming to New Jersey and, you know, what he's going to bring to the table. He said there's a big question mark around uh, Subban. And, and, and what that is, is that question yeah. that needs to be answered before, during, and after? The question is, can he be a top pair defenseman anymore in the league and you know what you saw in Montreal and even early in Nashville with Subban is he going to be bringing that to New Jersey now with his workouts what we've seen on Instagram Twitter via the New Jersey Devils it looks like he's out to prove people wrong but from what I'm told the Devils could get could the best the Devils could get out of him two years which for most Devils yes, fans, I, take. I would consider that, especially since, you know, we haven't had such a good uh, right-handed defenseman since uh, Brian Rafalski's days in uh, New Jersey since he left to get the cup in Detroit. And for a lot of our listeners, you know, getting a guy like P.K. Subban for that kind of money, you know, it's, a, it's still a really good return on equity if you can get a return on him in the third year of that contract. Um can you reiterate on that, and uh, what are some things that people do in fantasy hockey before the fantasy season starts? What should they uh, know before jumping on PK? Okay, so, you know, with a guy like PK, he's got three years left on his deal. And, it, you know, the salary's good for a team like New Jersey because the, they wouldn't have been able to make the deal if they didn't have the cap room. So that was perfect. But to get two good years out of him that's great I mean the last year he'll be 33 and you know you don't know what you're going to get out of him as the league gets younger and faster now as far as uh, fantasy goes for Subban I will wait in the draft to get him see how far he falls I know a lot of people might jump on him early uh, because of you know he's going to be playing the power play and get a lot of points via his big shot but I would wait on him to be honest I would probably wait maybe maybe late rounds to get him, like, later in the – like, late, like, maybe, like, eight, nine, see if he's still available because so, so, that'll be a steal. So you're kind of saying, because, like, uh, if someone takes John Jonathan Klinberg first and then, let's say, ten spots later, you know, someone picks, let's say, another defenseman ahead of PK and he falls into your lap, you, you might have a potential steal. Exactly, yeah. That would be 
that would be the ideal situation. Don't rush out to get him just because he's a name, because that's what a lot of people do in fantasy hockey. I've seen it playing that throughout the years. A lot of people, oh, it's a name, you know, Subban, like Suter yes. back in the day. Everybody like Suter, he uh, eats minutes. Do, stay off the names. Look at the production. His, you know, he was hurt. He admitted that he was was hurt. So you don't know if you're going to get the same production out of him as you would have, you know, a couple of years ago. So if he drops, that's when you pick him up. Don't try to rush. So I'm not sure if him. you heard this, but I just saw this uh, via Michael Russo on Twitter. He just pointed out on the Athletic that uh, a former New Jersey Devil uh, in Bel Garon was on one of the Stanley Cup teams for New Jersey. Uh, just got the job to become the uh, GM in Minnesota. So what do you think of that? And uh, do you think Ray Shiro and maybe the Boston Bruins will have a good business partner, you know, uh, with someone named Bill Garon, especially the Penguins? Well, yeah, I mean, look, uh, Garon, his, uh, his pedigree speaks for itself. I mean, he played in New Jersey, won a cup on a 95 team. Uh, you know, he was on that 96 Team USA World Cup of Hockey team playing with Hall and Madano. So he's he knows there. And then people forget that he was on that Penguins first cup in 09. He was one of the big leaders in that locker room for the Penguins, uh, especially with Crosby there, Malkin. You know, he he really helped those guys, you know, when they were down 3-2 to Detroit to just stay focused. And And look what he did. Um, with the Penguins during their back-to-back cup runs in 16 and 17. He was in the front office then, but he, and, but he was also player development coach as well. And he helped a lot of those young guys fill in roles like a Jake Gessel, who stepped up for them in the playoffs. And, you know, he had a great mentor in Jim Rutherford. And it's going to be tough for him in Minnesota. I mean, you know, they got, it's a tough team, you know, tough division in the Central. But he's... Did his time in Pittsburgh, and he knows what it's going to take to shape this team in his it, way. It, it, it comes to show that not only does he know what winning's all about from being under Lou Lamorello, you have a couple of guys like Patty Burns, you had uh, Larry Robinson, just to elaborate on a few Devils coaches that he's been under. Uh, then you have, uh, you have Ratio as his uh, GM that acquired him for the 2008-2009 Stanley Cup season. So he knows what winning's all about and getting that culture and wanting to uh, build it over time like a, like a brand-new farm with really good organic product. And so it seems like he wants to start the farm down and add prospects in, kind of like how Tommy Fitzgerald and Ray Shure have replenished the Devils' uh, farm system. Now they're getting guys to the – NHL level that can compete instead of just buying guys uh, July 1st. Yeah, I mean, look, and you can say the same thing, you know, with uh, what Sweeney has done in Boston as well with, uh, you know, the way he's developed the prospects to come in and jump into the league right away. I mean, Charlie McAvoy, Tory Kruger, just two examples of guys that just come in, develop through the right system. And Garen's going to put that in place as well in Minnesota and maybe you know a couple of things he's going to have to do is going to decide hey got to talk to Parisi and Suter be like hey guys your contracts you know we may think where about you want to be uh when the when the time is up. exactly exactly so it, you know again it's you know it's just started happened today the season's right you know a couple weeks away you know not I mean you know, the way everything went down in Minnesota was a little strange to begin with, with Fenton getting fired after the draft and after free agency. Um, so, Garen coming in now is going to – it's tough for him, but he he's going to have to see what he has in training camp, and maybe he can make a move here or there. Maybe Shiro's a good fit, you know, Sweeney in Boston. But, again, the salary cap is tying a lot of teams down. So those moves might so not be there. So from right what away. it sounds like, you know, you talked about, you know, having a little bit of like a luxury tax last time we talked. But I do think on the contrary where this hard cap situation where there isn't that luxury tax, it does strain a lot of teams, but it makes a lot of GMs like a Ray Shiro get 
really creative and wanted to pluck a guy here and there via trade or uh, sometimes you might find a really good uh, guy on the waiver wire who someone might undervalue. Like you brought up the Island of Misfit Toys. Can you tell me who are the Island of Misfit Toys uh, technically between uh, the Bruins that, uh, that, let's say, Don Sweeney might uh, not think about having fit opening night that uh, they have to place on waivers after the first uh, roster is made? Well, I mean, one of the guys that, you know, we were all watching in Boston to see what was going to happen was David Backus and, you know, his cap hit. And you've got to see what what, uh, the Bruins are going to do there with that because that's an interesting situation to watch because if you remember correctly, when – yeah, he was with the Blues, but up in Toronto when Lamorello was first there and Stefan Robita and Joffrey Lupo all of a sudden had mysterious injuries and were on LTIR. They called it oh. Robita Island up there. Stefan Robita. And, yeah, so they were they found a way to open up money. Now, I'm not going to say – I'm not saying that's what Boston is going to do, but it's it's one of those guys you got – it's one of those situations that's worth watching because his money is really – tying up what the Bruins want to do in my opinion because you know his I believe he's making six six and a half million and you know that money could be going towards Carlo and McAvoy and you want those guys in day one of training right and I was just listening to spitting chicklets recently they were talking about how guys like Mitchell Marner up in Toronto like have been asking for way too much money before they even achieved winning a Stanley Cup or maybe even a hard trophy to begin with. So it's kind of, and one of the guys on there with a heavy Boston accent, the older guy goes, uh, it's really, it's really selfish of them to do that. And then to reference Steve Dangle on Sportsnet, he, Steve Dangle, he, he brought up one of those big dang it things on his segment. And he goes, uh, one of the darkest moments that Kyle Dubas has done was sign John Tavares to that contract. Okay. I can sound like a critic, and prove Steve Dangle right, but I think he's onto something. Do you think so? Yes or no? Where Ray Shear might make a move with the Toronto Maple Leafs? Well, a lot of Devils fans are trying to infer to something. Well, I mean, like I told you the other day, it's not out of the realm of possibility that the Devils swoop in and make an offer sheet right before training camp starts. It wouldn't be shocking. And the reason I say that is because it, it all depends on what Taylor Hall wants to do. Does Ray Shiro have a, a finite answer? If he doesn't, or if he does one way or the other, maybe he can go out and get a replacement next year if Hall doesn't want to stay. And Marner's one of those guys that can bring the same level of talent and skill set to a team that has – pieces right so now that before i was uh i was getting onto this podcast today with you and i um i was after i was cutting lawns uh in my neighborhood i was listening to spit and chickless podcast to reference what they said just recent that uh lou lamorello is offering 13 million dollars a year to uh mitchell marner of the toronto maple Leafs. they think he's going to be a good fit but if the devils were to make a trade do you think if Hall doesn't want to stay in New Jersey and Toronto wants, you know, Marner to be happy, do you think New Jersey and uh, Toronto could be really good fits for those two guys switching their conundrums and eventually make them happy to perform here in both places and sell their contracts? I think so. I think it would be a great fit. Now, we're, again, we're not saying it's going to happen, but you play – the game of what teams where what teams have the salary to bring on a guy like Marner. The Islanders do, but everybody says Lou Lamorello is going out there and going to sign these guys to big money. Those who know the Devils well and who has followed the team know knows that Lamorello does not like to hand out long term big money contracts. That's no, not his it's mo. Not his call. Now maybe it's not he's. His Maybe he's changed, but I don't think so. And I just don't see Marner going to the Islanders. 
the whole thing with the RFAs is everybody seems to be waiting on Marner. He seems to be the one that everybody's waiting on because I guess no one wants to sign for less dollars than the market. This kind of reminds me, I'm not sure if you follow uh, fish market food pricing. It's like in the first day of the new year in Japan when you get this special, like, like wild tuna, like the, the, the biggest catch of that time sets the price uh, the whole market price for the whole year. And it's a huge domino effect for the overall market. Do you think that big fish uh, type analogy is what is suiting uh, Marner because of all these other RFAs and maybe Patrick Laine is listening in and maybe uh, Miko Rontanen is awaiting the first hand to be tipped? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Marner, from what I've understood is he wants to be paid like he is a superstar. He wants the Matthews money. And everybody points to, um, you know, Tavares coming into the Leafs, throwing a wrench in their, you know, system. But you know what? They got a good player. The thing that, the thing that, that, uh, that hurt the Leafs was not sticking to their guns when it came to Nylander. Because he's a guy that they really didn't need to pay that kind of money to for being, you know, maybe one of their top, what, 10 guys on the team. Like, he doesn't need that kind of money. Um, they should have just waited waited out, kept waiting it out. Because now, then you could Because they already gave Austin Matthews the big money. They gave Tavares the big money. But also, like, we were talking about, like, Artemi Panarin. He's almost $12 million a year. And I just did a a article last night, the slideshow that you saw, and uh, Nikita Gusev's contract is only 43% less of the Artemi Panarin contract. So do you think there are guys like Tyler Dello and other guys that are looking at uh, other teams' players that have high upside, but there's still problems, you know, paying a guy because they don't know exactly what they're worth or they just – overvaluing or undervaluing a guy? Well, you know, this is the big thing that when it comes to the salary cap and we've had these lockouts, you know, GMs still don't understand how to value talent in the league. They still overpay on July 1. And you could see it. And when a guy like Marner gets paid, a guy like Rotten gets paid, Guys, and Connor get paid. The market gets set high for the even the lower tier guys, like the bottom six forwards, and that's not you know ideal for teams out there, especially when you have a hard salary cap. So everybody's price goes up, and it's good for the players because they're all getting paid. But when you're trying to put a, a winning team together. You have to find where you can get those league minimum guys and hold on to them for a little bit. Like, everybody forgets. Tane, Case, Keith, Seabrook all didn't get paid right away. They won three Stanley Cups before all the big money kicked in. And that's why they're paying for it now. It's because they see these really good superstars wait till they achieve the big prize or prizes. In some cases, they, they waited to cash in at the right time because they, they took their time and they trusted uh, the GM going forward and they, and they did trust the process. So when people like to think that there's going to be some big player coming in, you know, or there's already a big player there, do you think that these players will eventually have to talk to their, the, the players' union and be like, I think certain guys are manipulating uh, the, the salary cap a little too much where there needs to be a little bit more of a, a base rate. Well, I mean, you could you could look at the Kevin LeBanc deal and you could question what went on there. For a guy that could be getting paid a lot more money than he is, it appears that there was a deal made between San Jose and LeBanc saying, okay, hey, you know, take this one-year deal. We're still trying to build a winner here. But next, then your next contract. I honestly think a, a Kevin LeBanc, a kid from Staten Island, New York, deserves uh, a $1.2 million contract for the type of performance he had during the year and 
the playoffs, even though that San Jose didn't make it very far, but he still put in a lot of effort for a kid his age. And uh, I'm not sure if you follow Steve Cornianos. He he's the draft analyst. He mentioned how great of a young player he is from his draft year to how he's playing at the NHL level. I think he got robbed, and he should he should fire his agent. Yeah, well, I mean. Well, I don't know if that was the agents doing. Like I said, it could have been a one of those things. Hey, you scratch my, I'll scratch your back now, but you'll take care of me later, kind of things. You know, a lot of that stuff goes on now. Do you do you see it more? You know, you see it a little bit more in other sports, especially now in NBA with the four to five year contracts, max deals. Is that something the players are going to want? Like Matthews took a five year deal at. 11-5. Is that the norm now? Are, this, are the days of the seven, eight-year contracts going to go to the wayside because the young players coming into the league want to maximize their worth I over two contracts? I think there should be a maximum of three uh, eight-year contracts for someone who's a homegrown player. So that way, if, if you have someone that you really like and you trust that player in your system, like let's say you really like uh, Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes, and you really like, let's say, Riley Walsh has a really wonderful year next year, and he has another yeah. awesome year, year two, and he's proven that he's a proven commodity on the right side. Uh, I don't want any longer than, let's say, like two, like two or those like seven, eight-year deals handed out to a guy who's been proven – after those first two or three seasons. Um, I think some GMs hand out those contracts a little too liberally, uh, to be fair. But I like the, the five-year deals maximum for guys that aren't really the, – not the Jack Hughes or the Connor McDavid's. There should be a, like, a, like, a, like a tier. Yes, I agree. I think there should be a tier, and that might be something that they look at um... – so, you know, it's going to be. And have you at all talked to, right, have you at all talked to the Boston Bruins about this before, like, and the New Jersey Devils, where, you know, before you go into the next uh, CBA, you know, you want to, like, amend a few things as long as you keep the peace on both sides. Especially, I know the owners have a lot of say. Yeah, I mean, look, from, you know, what there's been little of, discussions of the cba you know everybody's cautiously optimistic when it comes to um what's going on with the labor peace it seems that there is labor peace finally in the in the league and the game is growing at a high rate and there might be a couple of things here and there that you're going to want to tweak but do you want to as we said the other day do you really want to you know strike or have no. a lockout over that- something that could be that could be settled maybe beforehand. Because I know there's that option out that they have uh, before 2020, or they can sign off and extend it for what is it next five to ten years that they have. Yeah, it's it's like a, it's I think it's it's more of a like it's like a two three year kind of thing where they can extend it for a, a, a long period of time and you don't have to worry about it. But again, can a lot of this stuff be avoided? before the clock strikes midnight on the options. So, speaking of options, and, you know, we have a lot of young prospects that a lot of Devils fans we, – we talked about Jesper Bokvist recently. Uh, one of the guys I wanted to touch on last time was Arne Talvidia uh, from Penn State University from Finland who yeah. got the gold medal with Kapo Kako. Uh, tell a lot of our listeners – uh, whether they're new to hockey or they're uh, existing hockey fans, what they need to know about the, this wonderful uh, left shot from Finland. Well, this this kid's good. I mean, I've seen him play. Unfortunately, you know, during the tournament, he couldn't play that much. He got hurt. Um, so, and his season was cut short. Uh, but he is one of those guys that has a sneaky shot. He's, you know, he's got the quickness I, I like what he brings for Finland and he is you know one of those guys that is one of those intangible guys that you want on a team and you know like a McKay type player where he's gonna score goals but he's gonna you know 
move guys around for you too. And those are the guys you win with. It's not always the big flashy names. It's those third and fourth line guys that help you win in the playoffs. And I, I like where. He so he's kind of like you know back in the day you had Jay Pandolfo, you had uh, someone like a John Madden. The the, the meat and yes, the meat perfect and guys that are the forgotten guys that you know that people will say. I remember Jeff Friesen or Stefan Richet. You know the the big potent uh, scores, if you will. But these yes. guys that get, bury the puck on a guy uh, like a like a Henrik Lundqvist or maybe a Tuka Rask, you know, the, the guys that uh, that aren't really the most scouted ones, but the ones that know how to time, you know, these little rebound chip-ins that aren't as sexy to begin with, but they're the Wayne Simmons goals. Yes, that exactly. That, those are perfect analogies. Uh, what you brought up, like a Madden type where he's just going to score your gold, but he's going to check hard. And and I want to see what he does, you know, this year, um, you know, playing in college. Because I, I don't think he'll he, – he might he should be at the prospect tournament before, um, before school starts. But I want to see what – you know, how the college game can really help his game. Because, you know, talking with um, Zach um, – Trent Frederick uh, over the weekend – he really attributed to uh, college hockey, really helping him make the transition to the pro game, having the two years at Wisconsin, then playing uh, some games in the AHL, and then playing half the year last year at the AHL before getting called up to the NHL, really helped him uh, transition to North American hockey and to so, the NHL. Um, when we talk about these prospects, I want to touch on the 2019 class a little bit. Um, I want your take on Nikita Ohotiuk, uh, the, the, the Russian uh, defenseman uh, out of uh, the Ottawa 67s. Uh, can you touch on him if you can? Um, so, uh, did he get drafted he first got, round, I believe? Uh, it was, I believe it was uh, second, early, early rounds. Early, early rounds, okay. You know, uh, you know, it's tricky with these, uh, you know, these Russians. Because even though he played junior here, it, it's it, you know the KHL always is coming calling, and it's it's a, it's a tricky thing with those Russian players. He's he's a good defenseman. I like what he brings, but he's you know he's, like a lot of these guys has to develop. And with the Russians, you just don't know does he want to go back home and play for a year before he comes over. It it's like that mindset. The oh, okay, I could go to KHL, make money first, then come here where. Here I have to wait my time, and my time may never come. Yeah, and that's sometimes a, the the conundrum with a lot of people, you know, who are casual fans or longtime fans that've been devoted to both the Devils and other NHL teams. You know, I know the NHL should have like a special uh, like loan or uh, transition agreement where it's like you know you have similar with Switzerland or Sweden and Finland where it's a lot easier to uh, get a guy over and make it a lot easier for them to commit. But uh, it seems to be that the Devils are trusting their scouts uh, at these games, and it seems like that um, when they have one of those uh, Russian regionals that they they can get into the contract. And there's someone like Dan McKinnon who can work on, like, the contract details and stuff like that. Um Another Russian that I, I follow a little bit uh, is Daniel Misul. Uh, he was with uh, Vasily Parkolzin on the defense. Uh, some people like the mix of his offense and his skateability and his physical side as well on defense. Uh, what else do you know about this kid? Um, you know, I I just seen his you know his name. I when I listened to. Uh... When I listen to the Ruble Report on Sirius XM, uh, they bring his his name up. Uh, I like, you know, I see, I saw him play a little bit last year, um, you know, internationally, and I, I liked his game. Um, it's going to be interesting to see um, how it transitions to the NHL. Um, that's pretty much all I know about him. I haven't really seen much on him, to be honest. Um, but like I said, I I recognize the name. 
And, you know, she's one of those guys that can make an impact, not right away, but, again, with defensemen are always tricky because they can't jump into the league right away. I mean, they can, but it's more difficult. Because there's so many things that forward. they have to comprehend and learn on the fly. It's, it's not exactly. like being forward and be like, oh, okay, can you pass me the puck like Patrick Kane can or can you dish it uh, like another – form of like let's say nico he sure can pass it to taylor hall it's not that easy uh like someone could quarterback uh, a, a defensive play like a pk suban or someone else can uh fire the puck in like will butcher can in on a on a power play one or power play two exactly and then you go to your bottom forwards where uh you know all you, you if you're a grinder, a grit guy, and you want to just go and, you know, hit, and that's your job, and you know about that, and taking face-offs and shooting and stuff like that, That's that can transition. And that's what helps a lot of guys make the NHL. Defensemen, you got to read the situation. Do you jump in? How do you jump in? How am I going to take a hit? What's it like going into the corner? Um, do I have to, you know, not fear for my life, but i got more of my surroundings I need to know about. And, and that's what makes it more difficult for defensemen to transition. Uh, unless you're, you know, a Donkey Keith or a Drew Doughty type player, um, you know, even a Charlie McAvoy, mm-hmm. Tory, Tory Krug player. Oh, I love Ka- that kid. He is McCarr. so electric, especially, especially play for a UMass Amherst. There's, you gotta, pl- you gotta develop. Yes, I mean he was unbelievable to watch. And the fact that he comes from the he went from the Frozen Four to Colorado and made an impact right away. Again, another guy that played college hockey, not to yeah harp on the college hockey aspect, but it does help a lot of these guys transition to so the big. I know leagues. I haven't mentioned this part about the one prospect who we spoke about and Jake Larusso. I talked to him. Uh, he has been committed to uh, Colorado College, which is Jaden Schwartz's alma mater. So, uh, yes, it's a very good program. Great school. I trust that program, especially the way they've been growing players left and right. Uh, also, he told me that um, he might be on loan to Muskegon, to uh, to the Lumberjacks, which okay. uh, I believe it's uh, Alex Gaffney's club. and. And he did get drafted yeah, yes. in the uh, second phase of the of the uh, of the USHL draft. So, to any of those people who don't okay. exactly know, but uh, that's the same exact USHL league. Jack Hughes and a bunch of other NHL players uh, have gone through that system and have been graduated through over time into each other's draft classes. So. Yeah, I mean, the USHL is great for, you know, guys that are in the uh, U.S. National Development Program. Those guys are, you know, that league is great to watch. There's a lot of good young prospects there. And a lot of those guys make the transition to the National Hockey League. Not right away, but, you know, being USA Hockey has come a long way um, since, you know, I first started playing and covering. And the fact that, you know, they've won gold medals at the World Juniors, um, you know, under 18. <laughs> Still need to figure out a way how to do it on the on the men's big stage, but uh, I mean they've had some third place finishes there, but the fact that they're doing well at the U21s, the U18s, is uh, so really we're impressive to, to see. Goaltenders more, but we're gonna go back down to the NHL a little bit. Uh, this kid, the Devils drafted from the Janesville Jets out of the state of Wisconsin, this Ontario boy and Cole Brady. Uh, what do you think of him? as a goaltender in the late rounds, uh, round five for the Devils. Yeah, I mean, look, the Devils goaltending uh, depth, as you would say, uh, is, it, you know, it's, it's good. Um, they have, you know, they have guys at the AHL level, ECHL, Cole Brady taken in the fifth round, as you said. I like what I saw at Prospects Development Camp from him. He's, you know, he... You know, he gave up some goals, obviously, that, you know, snipers are there that are going to make goals. I mean, Jack Hughes, the guy's guy's got an electric shot. 
Guy's a beast. So, I mean, he's got electric shot. He's, he's not going to stop that. But he looked poised and controlled in the net. And that's what you got to ask for from a goaltender. Now, he's not going to come in right away. Uh, he could be playing. He's probably going to be in the minors for a while because the Devils goaltending is pretty much set. Uh, Corey Schneider and Mackenzie Blackwood. But look at Blackwood, for instance. Blackwood was groomed to be the guy when King Keith, when uh, Keith Kincaid was here. You know, Blackwood was always that guy that you had to be worried about because he took the steps in his development the right way, and, and Cole Brady could be one of those guys. There's a lot of goaltending depth in the Devils organization, so he's going to have to, you know, work on his game and develop. But you could see him playing in the uh, East Coast League, American Hockey League. Well, actually, I wanted uh, to reiterate on uh, on the Janesville Jet uh, pick right there and Cole Brady. Actually, uh, he's committed by 2020-2021 for Arizona State University. And and so if okay, Black, so uh, does another year of uh, goaltending coaching uh, by that time, uh, and he can possibly help and maybe teach a, a several fine tune-ups for Cole Brady's game and not have to have him rush. Well, meanwhile, you have Akira Schmid who can o- over time take his time from uh, – if it's if he's still with uh, the, the, with the Omaha Lancers. Yeah, I mean, look, Eddie Lack, it's a great hire by Arizona State uh, Sun Devils program. I mean, they've made a couple of great hires over the last couple of years um, in multiple sports, uh, one being Herm Edwards at the football program. Uh, Herm's one of those guys that you want to play for. And Eddie Lack, it's unfortunate, you know, due to injuries that he can't play anymore and had to retire. But the fact that Arizona State for a development program um, gets a guy like that as, uh, as a coach, he will definitely help Brady understand what the mindset needs to be and what he needs to do to be a player it at always seems the National that Hockey every level. year that uh, the, in the past uh, these Nordic goaltenders from Finland and Sweden uh, now it's becoming Denmark it's kind of like an arms race where Frederick Anderson is going after Henrik Lundqvist and Henrik Lundqvist has been going after Tuka Rask and Tuka Rask has a cup to his name and then he has uh, Freddie Anderson's trying to get to the Stanley Cup from Denmark uh, it always seems that uh, Eddie Lack being a Swedish goaltender, and you had another Swedish goaltender in the past, uh, Johan Hedberg, a.k.a. Moose, who, who played for Pittsburgh in the past. Uh, do you see a lot of similarities from these uh, Scandinavian goaltenders when they teach uh, these North American goalies how to play the puck more? Yeah, I mean, I like the fact that these guys are teaching um, these young goalies to play the puck more because, like we said the other day, if a goalie could play the puck, it really helps his defense out. They don't get to, they don't have to go into the corner, and you know, get hit, and the puck isn't in the zone as long. And there's so many guys out there that can do that. And the fact that these Scandinavian goalies have watched Brodor or um, a guy like Bishop. Uh, move the puck, Amarty Turco could uh, play the puck pretty well. You know, it's great to see, and the fact that you they can develop that skill is awesome. Now, in regards to Rask, yes, Rask has a cup to his name, but he wasn't the starter in 2011. It was Tim Thomas, so he's there as backup. So he's been to the cup final twice as a starter and has lost both times. But, again, if the Bruins had won the cup last year, he was going to be the Consumized Trophy because he was the best player for that team. And the fact that he's learning to play the puck more I it helps his team as well. Every single level of international hockey should have a very similar uh, like build to the NHL with the size of the rink, so that way it's a lot easier for players to transition. I I was told that Alexi Lafreniere, the consensus number one pick uh, for the upcoming 2020 draft, was considering. Uh, going to the NLA in Switzerland for uh, Zurich, uh, the, the Lions. That was this same team that uh, Austin Bingo. Matthews played for, and I believe it's the same team. 
And that's the same team that uh, Mitch Marner's camp has been in contact with in regards to training next month if his contract situation isn't uh, resolved, which Darren Drager had put out yesterday, which sent Maple Leafs fans into a frenzy. Um, but, you know, Zurich Lions, I mean, look, if Austin Matthews could play there, a lot of guys could play there, especially if they have the talent. And a lot of got more guys want to play in a men's league to get adjusted to what life's going to be like. Yes, and I always thought, you know, well, this is from last year from behind the the glass. Uh, The Devils had uh, played played that team uh, in Zurich. No, no, S.C. Byrne, sorry, the the, the Bears. S.C. Byrne. uh, Yeah, S.C. Byrne, yeah. And it was great to see the atmosphere of the fans uh, treat it like it was a – like a game in uh, Sweden where they're all like screaming, yelling, chanting, like during a game. And it's great that they did uh, number 13 from New Jersey Devils, Nico. He sure. They're all like cheering. They're all applauding him because he's a hometown guy. Um, I actually followed the SC burn uh, team on Twitter because it was, it was so great to see them uh, put out such great uh, things. Between them and the Devils, it's. I know Archibald played for uh, SC Burn in that game. Yeah, I mean it's great to see. Like, um, what was it? I believe Rene Fassel, uh, the IHF, uh president, talked about uh, the World Championships either this year or next year, having them being played on NHL ice, <laughs> so the transition isn't that bad for team players that don't make the Stanley Cup playoffs. They can go represent their country uh, at the World Championships. And when the the players do go back to the Olympics, they're playing on NHL ice, not these big sheets of ice where people think that more offense is created. But as Team Canada shown under Mike Babcock, they can slow the game down just I know this is one of my biggest things, especially during the draft stuff or during – before you get to the draft, it's like my, I know I'm biased because I'm an NHL guy and I think it's more appropriate. You have everyone from U18, U20 men's and IHF play on NHL surfaces for the sake of the NHL draft. Do you think the IHF will do that because, you know, you have the NHL, which is the highest tier in all the land? Do you think they'll consider that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the considerations why they decided to go to um, bringing the smaller ice into the World Championships. They also want to attract more players to play in the World Championships. And if you've never been to the World Championships, uh, you got to go because the atmosphere is electric. I have not been yet, but my goal is to get to Zurich this year for the Men's World Championships. Because I always want to go to Switzerland. It's, it's, um, it's a great it's place. But from what but, I've seen. Uh, Corey Mazisak of The Athletic, who writes for the Devils for The Athletic, um, he and Amanda C. Stein both went. And they all talked about like where they ate at and what they were able to do around Baird and all that. And uh, northern Switzerland is most – most part is uh, German speaking, but with a Swiss German dialect and spelling is a little bit different for me as someone who can speak or understand German. But uh, I have yet to actually like step onto Swiss soil because I was only doing a layover in uh, Zurich International Airport. But I'll tell you, that's one of my favorite uh, airports if I'm on a layover. Yeah, I mean. You know, and and if those who don't follow Julie Robenheimer uh, do, because she posts a lot of pictures and videos from the World Championships, and the fans get excited. Uh, the fact that Great Britain's back in the tournament next year is uh, great, um, because those are they, they were fun to follow and the yes. crowd chants, and it feels like a soccer feels like a soccer atmosphere in a hockey game, which makes the World Championships unique. It's not a it's not, it's something different from the National Hockey League. So that's going to be exciting to see. Um, and, you know, international hockey is, is fun to watch because you can discover players uh, that have been drafted or soon to be drafted 
and to see them before they become uh, stars in the National Hockey League. I will tell people this. I have been to Slovakia. I have not been to Kosice, which is closer to Ukraine, which is also closer to Poland. But I've been to Bratislava and Davin, which is where a lot of the big hockey players have come from. And if you're in that surrounding area, you'll see like a poster on a sign of a bus that is promoting like indoor hockey or just ice hockey in general. They love the game. And even when I was watching the Worlds uh, back home just on TV, you could see how much like the Slovaks and the Finns were going at each other. Uh, in a more positive, like, chant, chant versus my chant and, like, goal versus that goal. It's, it, it's, it brings a whole lot of joy to watch. And, it, and if someone who remembers uh, Marek Zalitsky being on one of the Slovak teams in the past, you know, you'll see a lot of uh, alumni will go back home and, like, visit and see how the, the young uh, players like Maxim Kajkovic have – done for their respective countries like Slovakia. Yeah. I mean, like you said, uh, you know, I discovered uh, Capo Caco uh, watching international hockey. I mean, I knew the kid's name, but I wanted to check him out more. Um, Going back to uh, a player that wants out of Edmonton, Jesse Pugliarvi, I remember watching him for Finland. Um, at the World Junior stage, and I thought this kid's going to be a, a player in the National Hockey League. It hasn't worked out yet for him, unfortunately, but, again, a situation uh, a lot of teams don't know how to handle these young prospects or don't let them develop enough and just rush them in because they're high draft picks. Uh, but, you know, there's so many players that go home or go play internationally, and it's just it's fun to see. It's good hockey. And, it, you know, it's a change of pace from the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, a lot of a people off. forget, like, uh, between Stanley Cup playoff games, you have, I believe it's two or one day off because usually you have to travel the one day and then you have to eventually uh, get ready for the next game day. So it's like, you know, one day's for rest and one day's for practice. So I remember that because – uh, of the recent Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah, I mean, usually the, the schedule, the way the schedule, you know, it's made for TV. And <laughs> I think that was one of the things that uh, hurt uh, the Bruins in the final was having the days off in between. Like, after their big win in Game 6, they had to wait a couple of days off. And then, you know, if they, if, if it was every other day that Bruins um, yeah, because maybe won so the Yeah, because so many cup. teams are like, I want to go back at it, but, like, we've seen teams, like, after the Devils, like, won, let's say, the second round versus uh, the Flyers, they they got a fair amount of time off because they were waiting for the next opponent being the Rangers. Or was the other way around, if I could remember properly? No, I mean, the Devils, the Devils had a, uh, they only had a five-game series with Philly. That year in 2012, and I believe the uh, Rangers got extended uh, to six or seven games that year. I mean, great example this year in the Stanley Cup playoffs was the Islanders and Carolina Hurricanes. Um, You know, Islanders sweep uh, Penguins out of playoffs. And then Carolina goes the distance with uh, Washington wins and then Carolina sweeps. And then you had Boston – they take on Columbus after Columbus sweeps. They take care of uh, – they, they beat Columbus in six games. Then they sweep uh, Carolina out of the playoffs. So it, the rest is not ideal, especially in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Like you want it, but you don't want too much of it. And having a long layoff does hurt, uh, especially going into the finals. Uh, you want to you wanna be playing and you don't want to be resting. And, you know, the Devils, when they went on what their 15, 16-game winning streak to end the season in 06 when they swept the Rangers, they were waiting for Carolina. And yeah, because then they you, over time you lose that mentality of getting back at it. Then, you know, every, everything resets. It just seems like when you win too quickly, you, your mindset has to rechange. And so what I think happens is that 
that's just the, that's just the the way the cookie crumbles for the most part. Yeah, I mean, look, you got to deal with it. Every team has to deal with rest. Every team has to deal with a short series. It's just the way you overcome it and battle and get through it uh, that has the best team rise to the top, and St. Louis was the best team last year. And they proved it, and they got on a hot streak. Uh, Bennington in net, you know, Ryan O'Reilly stepping up, um, Tarasenko playing the way Tarasenko can play. And, you know, they just – grinded teams out of the playoffs. And they did it to Boston, too. As much as Boston can grind and beat up a team physically, so St. I was, Louis did uh, it better. Listening to how players keep themselves in shape, and Mackenzie Blackwood lost 22 pounds of uh, fat and gaining 22 pounds of muscle that way. Uh, he talked about eating more of like a brat diet, which is chicken, rice, stuff like that. The more boring stuff as he called it so have you and he eats a lot of lettuce so are there any other Devils players and Bruins players that you've seen go through these uh, nutritional programs uh, in the off season during the season and postseason uh, who's a really good example of a really good uh, like uh, eater in that in that sense of nutrition wow I mean Let's see. There, I mean, there's so many guys out there that, you know, they talk about diet and and it, that's part of, the, of who they are. They, they do tend to change it in the regular season a little harder to keep it, as they say. But like I said, I, I was talking with Tre- Frederick at the Bruins Fan Fest tour over the weekend uh, Sunday. And he told me one of his goals was to lean down uh, during the summer uh, conditioning wise. Uh, he didn't want to lose weight, but he felt like he needed to lean down, lose some body fat, and uh, that he said he did that. He changed his diet a little bit. We didn't really get into too much specifics, but he's been skating more. I like the fact that Mackenzie Blackwood is going to what they call the boring stuff because that's what you have to do. Um, some guys, uh, who was it, I think, was it Heesher? It might have been Heesher Hall. One of those guys said, you know, they tried out some gluten-free stuff, you know, just to cut down yeah. on the – you know, to less carbs, you know, less body fat, stuff like that. I really don't remember who said it, but um, the point is that a lot of these guys in the National Hockey League have a, have their body just, you know, perfect running conditions. Like Zidane Ochara, he doesn't he doesn't eat the, the crap that normal people eat. He's re- always eating healthy, and it I doesn't matter when and where. I blog that Zidane Ochara actually is more of a vegan nowadays at his age yeah i mean a lot of guys change from what they want to do i mean that seems it 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 really goes on depends on your body makeup and a lot of trending too because i see it in other sports too like novak Djokovic, for instance with the u.s open right around the corner he changed his diet to gluten-free way back when he was having the breathing problems and now you know he's up 18 Grand Slam there, titles. There, so there's, there's something to every it. Every player is different. And I know a lot of players, you know, usually, like, I know Nathan McKinnon talked about being a, a chicken and pasta guy. Uh, however, it seems like when we have these, a lot of these younger players going into the NHL years uh, being drafted, it seems like that they go for the higher carbs and the higher protein. But it seems that as they age into their 30s, that they transition into uh, le- less amount of carbs and more protein and more veggies. And uh, Seth Jones actually cooks his own meals, and he uh, does like a lot of uh, like pan-seared like salmon and other kinds of fish uh, stuff that's really good for you that most people don't really think about. Yeah, I mean, um, I like what Seth Jones does uh, because I try to eat healthy myself, still playing and and covering yeah. hockey. Um, you got you got to stay you got to stay lean. Uh, like like everybody who's seen hockey night in Canada, Don Cherry has the prospects come on, and they always ask them what their favorite food is. And you always hear the kids say it's chicken and pasta, but it's always early. 
And that's what you have to remember. It's never, it's never like two, three hours before game time. It's usually, you know, early afternoon is chicken and pasta, and you let it and you let it um, digest, and you let it sit in there. One thing, uh, talking with a lot of older guys um, over the years, they did say that they like to eat, especially in the playoffs. Oh, okay, they like to so eat they the like to have crust. just the carbs and not the extra uh, stuff on top of the dough. Exactly. So that because pizza crust apparently you know digests slow and it gives you that extra boost that you need. So they don't want the whole pizza. <laughs> they just want the pizza crust, I which was, I found uh, interesting. Watching, uh, Zubris on uh, YouTube years ago, and he actually would make like an espresso or cappuccino before he would go to the rink, and then after that he would have an afternoon nap. Uh, I hear napping is more common nowadays for a lot of. Uh, Younger and older players, uh, are there any Devil players and Bruins players that you can remember that have really good pregame habits nowadays? Yeah, I mean, um, uh, you know, Bergeron, Chara, they always like to get to the rink early. Uh, Rask is another one that likes to, you know, get there early. Uh, a lot of the younger Bruins always talk about being around Marchand, around Bergeron, doing things the right way. Uh, you know, a lot of guys, ideally, they want to nap either 30 minutes or or an hour, 30, something like that. That's what they, that's what science tells them to do. So that's what they're trying to do. Um, as far as devils go, I know speaking with Patty Eliash uh, years ago, he he always liked his afternoon nap, and he always liked to. He always liked to be around the rink. He was one of those rink rats that just never wanted to go home. But he, towards the end, he knew that those. Naps I know. I noticed really as him. he got older, closer to the end of his contract years after 2012, going on towards like Marty's last years, that it always seemed like they they wanted to leave the uh, the practice rink early, and then it seemed like they wanted to get there a little bit before. Uh, that they had to be at the rink uh, before the game. Uh, it just seemed like guys like Pierce Accor just had different diets and the different uh, pregame rituals. Who's the most uh, superstitious New Jersey Devil that is on this roster uh, in, pre- in, in, in pregame mentality? That young listeners like wow. Jake Russo of the uh, of the New Jersey Titans, uh, Trenton Titans, listen right now. Uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, noticed uh, in the warm-ups, uh, was it um, Billy Coleman has some weird things he likes to do. The pickle he juice? He does it like every game. Uh, yeah, the pickle juice, he likes that. Um, you know, I saw Miles Wood. He always, for some reason, is always at the bench, like, with his sticks, like, in a certain way. And he he just likes, he tries. He doesn't try different ones out, but. He always like just goes over there and makes sure that they're there in the right, in the right order. Uh, it depends on who you talk to. One, some guys like to come out later. Some guys like to go out earlier. Some guys stay later out there. Like I remember, I, I noticed a bunch of games last year. Uh, for a while when Heeshear was playing really well, he would always stay out on the ice, uh, uh, for warmups and just stay till the buzzer working on something. And even after the like the, the buzzer would. Ha- uh, sound and he would be the last guy. So before like, off I ice. wrap things up, uh, running low on battery, I just wanted to see how in the past the Bruins have been able to deal with Finnish speakers and Russian speakers and having Nikita Gusev in New Jersey now. Uh, how do you think the Devils can help get Nikita Gusev uh, more immersed into English, into his daily routine? I was told he's learning right now. Well, I mean, look, you know, you know, if you're if you talk to, you know, Brian Gianta um, or you've seen uh, the documentaries that they do with the Canadians, it's one of those requirements when you go up to Montreal that you have to speak French right away. And Amanda Stein could probably touch on that more, um, that those guys are immense in speaking French right away because of the media and having guys like Rask in in uh, in the league for so long, like a Finnish guy and having guys in the system that are Russians uh, that maybe were his teammates or he's familiar with, he, they can learn together and bond over learning English. And 
make that transition because obviously they always keep their native tongue. But I remember um, when like Tevardowski was here um, or Malakoff even, him and McGillney would be together. You know, they'd be riding together or they would be talking together and that's how they would learn. Uh, some guys, they say they learn from watching English cartoons. Of all things, of I all love things. cartoons, especially if it's uh, Disney or uh, anything else, like uh, anything, even if it's Aladdin or something like that. It's good to listen to like something that's repetitive but in another language. But I think with YouTube nowadays, you can actually listen to your favorite Disney uh, movies, etc., to learn another language uh, in that rhythm. Like uh, you can listen to Let It Go in Slovak, for instance. And then you could turn it into Russian and you could just, you know, play around and try and get your brain to comprehend uh, the, the basics of the lyrics and then be able to uh, sing the rhythm and get your mind cued into it. Uh, do you think some players in the past have done that because of like Pavel Zaka mentioned, he learned English from watching Dumb and Dumber. Hey, American movies. I mean, what can you say? Some of them, some of the best movies that are have been made have been comedies. And I know a lot of players uh, have watched American movies if they were growing up in Russia or in the Czech Republic or Slovakia, Finland, Sweden, or a lot of them have listened to like American music too. Um, that's how they'll learn certain words that are tough, um, get some lyrics down and you know, just speak the language. Always, I guess hearing it is the biggest thing of what I've been talking with some of the players. Um, you know, I have, you know, some of the, the guys that don't understand English too well have to ask like a teammate, hey, what did, what did, what's this word mean or what, what that word mean? But most, for most part, they do understand the questions because they've heard, they've heard it for so long. And that's the biggest key is the listening aspect of learning a new language and helping and obviously speaking it, but it's like I can recall Alexander Radulov uh, coming back to the NHL and playing in Montreal like a few seasons ago before leaving for Dallas. I remember in the playoffs that he not only is able to speak English, but he's also able he was able to speak some uh, some phrases in French and he was able to please the crowd. And uh, I think it's one of those things is when you're in another uh, country and another province that has its own culture i think it's one of those things that when you embrace the team that you're with that the fans begin to embrace you for embracing them yeah i i see we see it with the devils um you know players come over here um nico he's here his first season he talked about how the fans embraced him right away you see uh suban who said the fans have embraced him right away and and just for Brad, even people uh, really embraced uh, in his first season, and you know that's just the biggest thing because it, even with six, even if you're not doing well, but the fans appreciate what you're doing. It makes you know the work that you put in uh, makes the uh, the work you put in even better. So and it's satisfying to those players. Yeah. So, anyways, there's been a lot of good stuff going on today, Jimmy. Uh, I thank you for coming on once again. Uh, thank you for coming, and uh, thank you for listening, fellow Devils fans. Uh, we'll have Jimmy on again sometime in the in the near future because of the prospect tournament is coming right up. And especially there's a lot more uh, before the preseason. And so thank you, Jimmy, for coming on, and uh, let's go Devils. Yeah, let's go Devils indeed. Uh, Joe, thanks for having me on again. I know uh, after we talked uh, last night, uh, you wanted me to come on with the news that I had about Subban, and I was obliged <laughs> to come on. And, you know, it's 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 a great, you know, our first show was great. This show was great. Can't wait to be on again. Um, you know, training camp's right around the corner, so you got to get – everybody's getting excited, getting that feel back for hockey. And, like you said, just stay tuned for more stuff uh, coming. Yes, because last night uh, – you, My you way. were breaking a lot of interesting moments that uh, that was podcast worthy, and it really is today. And I just I felt like I had to uh, extract more from the day before, and it, it's all just started to come to mind. And you know, we get more details out there. The fans and the listeners, thanks for listening to us speak. And if you have any feedback, or if you want to be a sponsor for both of us, 
Uh, Jim's got his own thing at Boston Hockey now. And I got my thing over uh, at anchor.fm. If you want to sponsor the show, uh, go ahead. And uh, you're more than welcome to, uh, if, if you're someone like Julie Robenheimer and you want to join the anchor.fm as a guest, get your anchor account set up. And it's, uh, it's going to be a great time to uh, have you on. Yes, it will be. Uh, don't forget, you know, follow both of us on Twitter. And uh, I'm at, you know, I do stuff for Boston Hockey now. Last word on hockey.com as well. Uh, Joe just put out a great article on pitchforks and pucks and pitchforks for the Devils. Check it out. Um, I'm going to keep my ear to the ground with any of the latest great news. So give us a <laughs> follow. Uh, if you like what you hear, keep listening in because, you know, there's more stuff coming. And, um, you know, it's been a great day to be on Thank the show. You. You're again. welcome Thank anytime. You. And uh, let's go, Devils. Peace out. Take it easy. Bye. Bye.